This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. Checking in from the most magical spot in Boulder that I just so happen to live at now. Actually, this is the first time in my life that I think I ever remember putting a lease in my name only. And I'm actually on IGTV right now, live, testing out the Wi-Fi. It sounds like it's coming in good. Can you all see me clearly? Some people are telling me their favorite podcast episodes right now, and I heard the one with my mom and dad. What do you know? What about the one with Davina? Have you all heard that one? All right. Okay, so this next podcast guest is ultra special. If you or anyone you know may be affected by Alzheimer's, that's his, his book that's coming out. It's called Breaking Alzheimer's. And I cannot believe how all of his research, independent of mine, has led to realizing that what's behind me, if you're watching on video, that bison back there, that the bison liver really may be America's original and most potent multivitamin. And it looks like I have some questions coming in. I'm happy to answer these while I'm doing the intro. I'm really stoked for y'all to uh, check out this podcast and leave a review and share it with people that might be impacted by it. And um, I do have a special announcement to make beyond me living here in Boulder. And by the way, if you want to come visit, we have an extra bedroom. Um, Let me know. Let me know. I'd love to have you. I see some people checking in from Boulder. Grant, we've got to get that polar plunge on. Get some tribe vitamins in us and then go test out our resilience to the cold and working hard on the pull-up bar. I'm stoked for remembering that future, getting nostalgic about that future. But I'm here. Anyone that wants to come in Boulder and work out and play by the creek, hit me up. I'm, I'm right in the, in the zone now. Moved like right between where um, Davina's mom lives and, and the school that Davina goes to, an all-outdoor maskless school for the kids. By the way, if anyone was curious. Um, all right, so this is the special announcement. It looks like we may have our another rehomer for one of the six puppies. One of the six 100% American Staffordshire Terrier purebred pit bull puppies, the McLaren F1 of canines, except there's only six made because my dog, Araya, who is the most, the, the being, the, the animal, non-human animal that I'm most connected to, is such an honor and such a responsibility to be in this relation, relationship with her. I, I, I don't even know where to begin or end with it, but I imagine it's an infinite story with Araya. And I've actually never been so reminded of my grandma. And Araya was actually birthed like six months after my grandma's passing. But anyways, Araya had six puppies, um, eight puppies, eight puppies, two died. The last one, a C-section survivor made it. They took her uterus out, so it's a one-litter quitter. This is it. If you feel the call, like I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I can't tell if they're just barking or if they're for real, but if you are sincere about rehoming, what I would say, if you've ever wanted a dog or you're ready for another dog or you're interested in a dog in the future, this is the best. This is the best. I can make arguments for the short hair, the emotional capacity of this breed, specifically this lineage, um, how Araya is with babies, how Araya is with other dogs, how I've trained other dogs, aggressive dogs with Araya. And, I mean, if you're looking for a companion, guard dog, short hair loves to cuddle, loves to play, loves to get in the water, loves to climb, is clean, healthy. Uh, we did genetic testing on her. She's cleared all her genetics tests. It looks like every 
grandparent they can find is a 100% American Staffordshire Terrier. So this is the real deal pit bull. The American Staffordshire Terrier, for those that are not um, familiar, are more like the showroom pit bulls. But yeah, definitely check this out. Uh, hit me up. Check out this podcast. Get your tribe vitamins. And let's talk soon. Much love. Peace in. Yeah, we uh, they're actually Breaking Normal, the book was almost originally called Fun Comfortable. Okay. And so like F dash uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but instead it was just uh, used as a terminology throughout the book. Well, it's, it's an important thing. Cause it, so in the book, um, breaking Alzheimer's is it built the same thing. It's about breaking down these assumptions that have, that have held us basically captive. And then we get the sense of futility and it, and it's breaking the inertia of feeling that there's just no way we can um, fight the machine, if you will. And then there's also the acquiescence. Like we, we accept defeat, right? We accept it. And we, because we become beaten down and then you have to kind of break that sense of acquiescence to, you know, the system. And so, and then once you bring back, when you build things back up from their basic principles, you know, logic still is, prevails. Like there is still an appropriate way of thinking through things. There's an appropriate way of, you know, inducing or inductive logic versus deductive logic. It's, it's you know, we, we don't have to throw everything out. The question is, is we build these assumptions up over generations that, and we forgot, we, we stop even looking at where they come from. And that's the breaking part. Um, and it's uncomfortable, right? It's, just, it's, uh, so yeah, so I, I've, my whole career is based upon being disappointed with theories and philosophies that have turned out to be untrue. And I've wasted a whole bunch of time assuming some person told me the right thing in the past, only to find out that it was a bunch of bullshit. So, so a fun, so, comfortable truth of transcending cultural conditioning. Maybe that should be the subtitle of breaking normal. I've been playing yeah, around with like re-subtitling it. Re-subtitling it, but that's it's it's really hard psychologically. It's really really hard because um, it's hard for people to go against. You know, it's it's just hard, um, and we have to be somewhat sensitive because everyone has a different level of of um, rebellion in them. So. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of this metaphor one of my friends, Jill, told me about certain fish. And I think, um, yeah, certain fish that come up, if they come up too fast, like their lungs will explode. Yeah. And it's just a metaphor to consider when Good. you're saying, like, it's important to be soft with certain, you never know what someone, like, how important that cultural conditioning may be a part of someone's identity and how not easy it could be just to let go of. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so it's like the first do no harm, Hippocratic Oath kind of concept, right? It's like you can't, it's really difficult not to transfer your own thoughts and path onto another person, right? And then once you've thought, it's like once you've thought it through, you've kind of had your own chance of have that kind of emotional wave of understanding something. And then, then you get through it. And so now you're looking at it. So, okay, now I get it. And then you want to kind of bombard something with the end of the story and they haven't had really the chance to go through the phases of, of learning yourself, right? Because, you know, and then you're so excited to tell people how you solve something and, 
and and uh, you might, don't always get the reaction that you're expecting, right? So, but yeah. Well, I think that's a cool intro to the beginning of this official, official, yeah, official welcoming to the show of uh, Dr. Dane Goodnow. And um, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll read through what Laura said, especially since you don't even know what she said. It might be more yeah. for you. I'm assuming she said some nice things. So yeah. we'll, we'll go from there. She's like, I've got another expert guest that can speak on a topic that's affecting literally millions around the world. And most don't even fully realize it, but they unknowingly feel its effects. Baby boomers are retiring at an astronomical rate in the U.S. alone. 11,000 retire each day. A new case of dementia is diagnosed every three seconds. And it is estimated that over 50 million people worldwide are struggling with some form of dementia. The number is expected to rise to 82 million by the year 2030. Dr. Dane Goodnow is the world expert on the biochemical basis of life, disease, and death. Over the past 30 years, he has invented and developed advanced diagnostic and bioinformatic technologies and identified a treasure trove of biochemical markers that predict numerous diseases, including Alzheimer's and dementia, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, stroke, autism, ALS, multiple system atrophy, various mental illnesses, and cancers. Fueled by clinically proven research, Dr. Goodnow is on a mission to turn back time and biochemically engineer immortality-based solutions for all. His key to redefining immortality, the membrane components that help cells communicate with each other and function harmoniously. Plasmogen, uh, let me hold on. Plas- plasmalogens. Plasmalogens? Perfect. Plasmalogens. <laughs> Dr. Goodnow has studied plasmalogens since 2006. Since then, research has expanded to show that plasmalogens are the root cause of neurodegeneration that leads to Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, and multiple sclerosis. With so many people creeping closer to the age where memory care is, question, is in question, Dr. Goodnow's research gives them the ability to take their health into their own hands. His focus as the founder and CEO of Prodrome Sciences, Inc., is to build a next-generation team of dedicated researchers and medical professionals who are determined to go beyond the diagnosis of disease and maximize longevity for millions of people around the world. Wow, this is some big, big stuff, by the way. I've read it before. I was pretty excited. Now I'm just getting more excited to do it reading it in front of you. Dr. Goodnow can provide your audience with expert insight into dis- demi- all right, here we go. demystifying memory loss and gaining a deeper understanding into how our brains function, learning about the causes of memory loss and cognition, and the top three things needed to gain and maintain optimal brain health. The simple blood test that shows you exactly how you can take your health into your own hands and biochemically proven ways to increase longevity. Wow. Where to begin? And where to where, begin? Yeah, holy moly! Yeah, where do you want to begin after hearing well, all that? How'd you like that? How'd you? Thank like that you, trip? thank you. That's actually accurate. The hardest part is we. The first thing to really break is this concept that pathology causes disease. Okay, and that we we equate the symptom of a disease with the disease, and it's this concept of it's, and it's kind of a hero complex, right? Someone has a tumor, you find the tumor, you cut the tumor, and you cure the disease. But pathology is not disease. Pathology is symptom of disease. And we also get kind of 
seduced into this concept of aging, like aging itself is a disease. And it's not. And it's not that smart. Um, we give it way too much credit. And aging is really the second law of thermodynamics. It's entropy. Okay, we, we, our body is an ordered system. It's, and every system that gets ordered doesn't like to stay ordered. It likes to become disordered. It's like making your bed in the morning. Okay, that bed doesn't make itself. Okay, you, external energy is applied to your bed to make it nice and flat and perfect. And then for the rest of the day, the bed hates it. It tries everything to become unmade. Like you sit on it and it's wrinkled. You put your clothes on it and it's wrinkled. And so everything that you do tries to disrupt that order and it becomes disordered. And you're constantly applying energy back into it to maintain that order. And so what we do as humans fundamentally is that we return sunlight energy back to the universe is what we ultimately do. Plants take carbon dioxide and water and create complex carbohydrates like glucose. That's what they do using electromagnetic energy from the sun. We act like the car in your garage and we take hydrocarbons and we burn them into back into carbon dioxide and water. That's what the human body does. And we have a gas exchanger, which is our lungs, which brings in oxygen from our environment that plants made. And we breathe carbon dioxide out. We have our kidneys that filter and the water that we generate gets excreted. And so we're on fire. We take, we're hydrocarbon burning machines and we take that energy and we use the energy to maintain the complex order of our body. And so as we get older, what happens is that we, we, our ability to maintain that order starts to decline and we start getting disorder. And this disorder, you have a certain range of, of tolerance that you can handle. And eventually it gets out of that range and we end up with a disease. So the biggest thing for me, from when I invented the technology called non-targeted metabolomics, which is basically like a, it's, it's like a MRI for your, for all the biochemistry in your body. So we can measure thousands and thousands of small molecules in the human body and in your blood sample and, and wherever. And at first, when I was a young buck, you know, in science, I was thinking, okay, this is great. We're going to, you know, get these diagnosed. We're going to, I'm going to be able to diagnose diseases and I'm going to see the, the biochemical changes that occur in someone who has a disease. Because obviously if someone has a disease, their biochemically has to be different. The disease has to be doing something to them, right? And that worked, right? It was great. The biochemistry, yeah, clearly someone with colon cancer has a different biochemistry than someone who doesn't. And someone with Alzheimer's has changes. They're, you can visually see them. So biochemically, they have to be different. And so, and that was true. But what... And real quick for clarity, yeah. are you saying that this technology that you, you, you patent, um, that it can, it measures these blood samples so that you oh, yeah. can distinguish? And is that what maybe that was being alluded to with the simple blood test that shows yes. you exactly how you can take your health into your own hands. Exactly. And what I've done is I've converted it into a much more user-friendly format. Okay. It's, um, you know, it's thousands and thousands of small molecules. So the normal people cannot interpret that information. It's, and all of it's not that necessary. If things do um, devolve into smaller numbers of 
of, of systems. And that's the other thing for regular people to understand. Scientists, we like complexity. It's fun. It's like a massive crossword puzzle. And the, and the farther away you get from the source of the damage, the more complex it gets. It's like you take cream and you pour it into your coffee. The cream and the coffee at the beginning, are, you can see them. But nobody can predict after three seconds of the cream going into your coffee, the dissipation of that cream. So the farther you get away from the event of putting cream in your coffee, the more and more complex the situation gets. And so the same thing happens biochemically. So, so as you work yourself up to the causation of a disease, it becomes less and less complex and becomes less and less interesting from a scientific perspective for people because it's no longer... So I, when I'm talking about all the receptor types and all the different you know, drugs for every, every different protein of the human body, um, that's, you're getting in the weeds down there. That, those are things that happen after the fact. The human body is designed to work, right? It works really, really well. Like you, for 60 years of our life, you pretty well have to step in front of a bus to die. So it's not like it, it's, it's a working system. And so it's not that we have to recreate it or we have to, you know, rebuild the human body. We just need to keep it working in its operating windows, no different than anything else that we've done in our lives. And so the, the further away you get from something, um, the more complex it gets, but it also creates more symptoms for drug development and so on. So anyways, so the point of the matter was, is this technology, which basically measures the biochemistry and it pretty well diagnoses every single disease I've ever tried to look at. And that's a very large number. And the, the, what was, so I was originally excited. So, hey, we have these great ways of diagnosing disease. But what was really eye-opening is that these biochemical changes were occurring before the diseases happened. And so the first big thing was in colon cancer. We saw these great biomarkers for colon cancer, simple blood test. And we did two studies in Japan, one where we looked at people before and after surgical removal of the tumor, thinking at the time, this is great. We're going to got these people, these biomarker changes. It was a depletion that, and I think, you know, the hypothesis at the time was the cancer must be consuming these molecules from the human body and causing this, this uh, deficiency. And that after we remove the colon tumor and give people time to heal, that these biomarkers would come back to normal. But they didn't. They stayed the same. Which meant that these biochemical changes were occurring before the diseases occurred. Which actually makes much more logical sense from a thermodynamic entropy perspective. You have a dysfunction first. You've, you've, you've become disordered. And eventually that disorder will lead to, you know, a pathological disease state. And this happens over and over and over again. So now what you're dealing with is understanding the biochemical basis of disease, not the pathological basis of disease. So when you have a, a pathology, that pathology is not natural. Okay. It shouldn't be there. So just removing it doesn't answer the real fundamental question is, why did you have it in the first place? Like you just, you just don't walk down the street and, you know, go home and have a big tumor in your, in your stomach. Well, here's, right? an, here's a question I have and yeah. see how this ties to it. Sure. When I would play baseball in the high mm -hmm. school and yeah, high school particularly, I, would, I kept having like, I would slide a lot in dirty fields and have bleeding yeah. arms and slide again, that bleeds like blood and dirt. Yeah. And eventually I got a wart on my arm. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> and then I got more words. And it was like, what the freak is going on here? I got all these words yeah. in my right where I've slid. And yeah. I'm like, this now it's even more prone to getting cut again because it's like patchy and gross. Yeah. And I did all kinds of things to try to get rid of those words on my yeah. forearm there. I did like this freezing them off. Mm-hmm. And that and they got them off and they got wounded and they came back. Yeah. And then eventually some guy was like, he has like, he knew what to do. He said he yeah. has this, it's not a vaccine. It was some uh, injection in the wart. It was an injection yeah. in the wart that created like an, they, they, an antibody or something. I forget how it yeah. worked, but sure enough, uh, never saw a word again. And yeah. it's kind of reminding me of the conversation. Like I could have just burned them off, but for this guy had something in that needle that he poked into the wart that seemed to defeat the root cause of the situation. And that's exactly right. And so, and that happens over and over and over again. Like that's actually the norm, not the, not, not the exception. And so Alzheimer's disease, when I found this deficiency of plasmalogens in the blood of patients with Alzheimer's disease, um, again, it was like, what's this thing doing? Why is this deficient occurring? And, and how does this deficient lead to Alzheimer's. And then systematically through science and, and more and more studies, it became very clear that this deficiency was what was the underlying cause of Alzheimer's in most people. And, um, and that's kind of where we, you know, go through disease by disease. So plasmalogens are, are phospholipid. They're part of your membranes of the human body. So we want to jump into that area. You don't want to talk a little more philosophical Philosophical well, it's all. That. I mean, I'm definitely having flashbacks. Do you know anything about? Because I was thinking, like the wart story. Some people. I have a feeling so many people struggle with warts. Do you have a theory specifically well, on that? And I'll tell you, real quick story with that. When that guy did yeah. that, he poked that wart with yeah. the needle, and I remember that wart juice spraying in his eye. Oh, That's why I. I know it's just like, yeah. oh no, like. And I was thinking, is that contagious? Is he going to get worse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. So I don't know if you know anything about specifically, because, but because I brought up the W word, I'm imagining certain people are people curious so if you have any opinions about that specifically. I don't have any direct opinions on, on the wart situation. I'd have to look into that. I, at you, yeah, I, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to go directly into that, that space at this point in time. So, well, I just know when that it was, this conversation is reminding me of it because that guy must have had a secret. I'm just like, this guy just get a word juice sprayed in his eyes. No worries. He just got rid of mine in like yeah. a day after this one little injection in the ward. And I was like, it was something I'll probably I'll remember forever. That was probably exactly. 20, 15 years ago. Well, see, that's what happens. The biochemical basis of disease, like these things like autistic children. Okay. You know, it's a biochemical disease of mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, it's not a neurodevelopment disorder like it used to be. And back in the 30s, one child in 100,000, if we're lucky, had autism. And in the 60s, it became somewhere around one in 30,000 or 50,000. In Scotland right now, 4.5% of boys are born with have autism by age five. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And so, this is, so what you're dealing with is a biochemical um, uh, dysfunction masquerading as a disease that we originally considered a neurodevelopment disorder. And same thing with multiple sclerosis with women. It's a, it's a mitochondrial. And so you can measure these changes and you can correct them, right? And so the, the concept of, of these diseases, like people who get colon cancer and pancreatic cancer or liver disease, there are biochemical deficiencies that 
that precede these diseases. And that's where, and that's why the company is called Prodrome Sciences. It measures the prodromes of diseases, um, understands the prodrome of what changes prior to a disease state. But then once you start thinking about this, then you start realizing, you know what? Why am I looking at the whole world through diseases? Because one thing that we, we forget is that we've really done nothing for human longevity in the history of man. So people don't live any longer than they've ever lived. It's our maximum lifespan is still in that 115, 120 range. Now, more people are living longer, so our average lifespans have gone up dramatically. Okay, so instead of having an average lifespan in the 30s to 50s, we're now living into our 80s. But that, the, the, that basically just says that disease causes death, but that the absence of disease doesn't create longevity. And I tell people, this is like, having, this is like fixing a flat tire on a car. The, more, more, the better I'm at, at fixing flat tires, I'm not going to make the tire last longer. I'm just going to prevent the premature death of the tire. If I want the tire to last longer, I need to, I need to be able to rebuild the tread on the tire, or I need to have that tire operating in an environment that doesn't wear as much of the tire down. But, and so what we've done in human health is that we have um, got very good at preventing premature mortality, like infant deaths and deaths from car accidents and, you know, um, infectious diseases. We've done a very, very good job of that. But we haven't understood why we're not living longer. We're living longer with disease, but we're not actually living longer, period. And that's the concept of this prodrome, is that the biochemical basis of disease is that the, the focus on correcting the pathology of a disease only resets your clock. There was a reason why you got a, a cancer. There's a reason why you got dementia or whatever, or amyloid plaques in the brain. And so if I remove a pathology, I haven't modified the reason why that pathology came there in the first place. And so if I want to cure a disease or cure the underlying causation, you have to understand where that pathology came from. And so that's where the Alzheimer's story became very exciting with the plasmalogens is it kind of, kind of work our way back upwards to that. But conceptually speaking, it's a logical way of looking at things. And... Um, like I tell people, the human body... So plasmalogens are membrane phospholipid. Um, and people think, well, what the heck is that? And um, it's like a soap. And our body is structured, right? We're not, you know, soup in a vat. And so the biochemical systems of our body are compartmentalized um, so that we can do certain things in certain areas. And the way the body compartmentalizes all its functions is by making cells. And you start life as a single cell, and now you have over a trillion cells in your body. But each of these cells is like, um, like an apartment in a large apartment complex that has an outer wall that separates it from all the other ones. And that outer wall is made up of membranes, which is like a soap. And so it has a phospholipid, which has uh, fatty acid side chains, like you get from olive oil and from you know, fish oil and so on. And then you have a polar head group that likes to be in water, and it creates kind of like a zipper look where the fatty acids sit in the middle and the polar head groups sit on the outside. And that's how the body creates a biological wall. And that's how it separates not just one cell from another, but it also compartmentalizes within a cell. The same way we do in our house where your kitchen and your bathroom and your bedroom 
are separated so different functions can get done in different areas. And this one of these critical molecules for these the walls of your body is called plasmalogens. And they're not a small amount. They're a lot, 20% of your brain, essentially. And they're really um, in your heart, in your lungs, your kidney, your neuromuscular junction for athletic performance. Okay, so we're not dealing with a, a minor component of the body. And the biggest problem is, not problem, it's, it's elegant, is that your body makes these molecules. We don't get them from our diet. Because the very last step in their manufacture creates this mysterious bond called the vinyl ether bond. But th this is a highly acid-sensitive bond. It actually what, what neutralizes most of the peroxides in your body. And it's your largest antioxidant. And the big problem is it works great inside the body. doesn't work so great outside the body. So if you have a nice juicy steak for dinner, um, you think, well, I'm going to have some plasmalogens because this animal product, if I have plasmalogens, the animal has plasmalogens, right? Well, the problem is that that vinyl ether bond is designed to break apart in acid. That's what its job is in the human body. So as soon as it hits your stomach, because your stomach is, is hydro, it's concentrated hydrochloric acid is in your stomach. And... Um, it basically breaks these things apart. So, so it's kind of like, it's, it's the plasmalogens that you have in your body, you physically make yourself. And they're made in a little organelle called the peroxisome. And this is stimulated by exercise, specifically resistance training. So that's why resistance training is really powerful for the elderly. Did you say a little organ? Yeah, organelle. Oh, the organelle named, what was it? A peroxisome. Oh, peroxidum. Yep. Yep. But man, this is definitely taking me back to my chemistry yep. days. But yes, please keep going. You, know, you are great. Like, are you a professor? Like, who are you? Wow. I, do you tell do you talk about this to like groups of people commonly? Yeah, because well, that, it sounds like you know how to break it down. Exactly. Well, the, the point is, is that your biochemistry is yours. People shouldn't be afraid of it. They should be fun. And that the whole point of the proton scan blood test is that people, you know, it's got like 14 sections, but it's each of them are understandable. And you can move these markers. Okay, they're not some, like you're not, you're not a victim of your own biochemistry. You're actually in control of your biochemistry. If you want to move, you know, your biomarkers into the normal range, you can do it. Okay, we can biochemically engineer it with your food, with your diet, your exercise. Okay, it's, it's doable. And so people should feel empowered that they can put things into that happy space. Okay, your body has a happy space for all these biochemical systems. And so, so am I hearing that someone that uh, does resistant training more consistently that their peroxisomes might be making more of these yeah, plasmalogens? Um, yeah, and, and what kind of resistance training specifically, by the just way? Just moderate I'm resistance training, like two or three times a week. If you pull ups. Dumb, pull ups, dumbbells, like curls, deep knee bends. Okay, so look, your human body is designed to be as lazy as possible. And, okay, so the point of the matter is if I drop you off in the middle of the desert, okay, I want you to be able to walk as far as possible and consume the least amount of energy, right? So we're nicely balanced. You know, a gallon of gasoline that runs in your car, the hydrocarbons in a gallon of gasoline will sustain a human being for two weeks, okay? That's how efficient the human body is at converting hydrocarbons into energy. It's really quite amazing. And so, but the point is that has a negative side effect. So as we get older, so... Our cardiovascular training, like our heart and our lungs, we swing our arms and our legs. So as we get older, we have a whole lot of biochemical real estate 
that has been kind of sitting up in the attic, not doing anything. And so when you start opening, when you start working on your biceps, um, it turns your muscles into little livers, basically. They start cleaning your blood for you. And when you talk about people have high triglycerides in the exercise and their triglycerides come down, that's proxosomal function, okay? And so that's how it works. And so when we get older, if you, you can wake up other parts of your, your, your physiology and it has quite dramatically positive effects. Um, and that's, and so the paroxysomal function, it chews up triglycerides, your fats, um, and part of the, the product of that fat metabolism, um, it uses to make plasmalogens. And so you can help, you know, it's kind of like a vitamin D story in a sense. Like your body can, in theory, if you go out in the sun enough in the right latitudes, you can get enough vitamin D naturally. But it's pretty difficult so that's why we should all take some vitamin D supplementations. It's very difficult to get enough in our, our regular routine. Um, anyways, so that's where, the, that's where that, those lipids come in. And so you, we can't get them dietarily. And then as we get older, through a number of functions, you know, liver disease, you know, you've you got accumulation of, of, of events that occur in your life. Um, and at some point in time, your ability to make plasmalogens becomes less than your body's need for them. Because your, your body makes them to be consumed. You make them and, it, and they, your body breaks it down. It's the, only, it's the only antioxidant in the body that is consumed in the process of performing its function. Like when people take about vitamin D or your CoQ10s, those are temporary antioxidants, okay? They, they hold the free radical for a period of time until the body can clear it. And so when those actually get saturated, they become pro-oxidants. Right, so your Q10 that you need for your mitochondria, people you know take supplements for. That's great. You need enough of it. You don't want to be deficient of it. But if you're under oxidative stress, once that CoQ10 becomes saturated, it becomes a pro-oxidant. Like it's like back to the first law of thermodynamics is that you know you know matter can't be created or destroyed. It can only be converted into one form or another. So whatever comes in has to come out. And so. Not, nothing, you know, gets magic, nothing magically appears or magically disappears. Um, it has to, it has to go someplace. You're so personally touching on like a, a certain things. I'm just going to sprinkle yeah. in here because yeah. I have uh, created a dietary supplement brand mm -hmm. called Tribe Vitamins. Okay. And what it is, is encapsulated, desiccated bison liver and okay. or elk liver. So it's just in, 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 and heart. We also we also yeah. had a seasonal batch of bison heart, and one of the benefits of the bison heart specifically would be the CoQ10. Yeah. Allegedly, is loaded in it, and then the liver yeah. is also loaded in a variety of nutrients, especially retinol yes. and iron and uh, copper and zinc. And anyways, I'm I'm just painting the golden thread. So I'm I'm like highly fascinated by everything you're. Um, talking about here i am curious what like what this is getting at like so if someone sends their blood sample in and and if they say they're disease free like there's no what's what like what what's the possibilities of someone sending in a blood test and would they say no biomarkers for disease keep doing what you're doing or like hey and the reason I asked this is because um, we had this guy named Naveen, Naveen Jain on the show twice. He okay. has this company called Viome. Have you heard of him? Viome? 
Yeah, and it's yep. a uh, you basically send your poop sample in, and then they okay. tell you uh, based on your gut bacteria, your gut biome there, mm-hmm. um, what foods you should be eating, what foods you should be avoiding, um, and it's not necessarily. I don't think they talk about they do. They have a new one like a mitochondrial DNA test that can tell you okay. your biological age. But these these topics seem to be being spoken about from different angles, and you're coming right. at it from this angle. He's coming at it from that angle. So I would like to also hear like how can the common listener that may have heard the podcast from the Bean, maybe it. hearing a podcast with you, like how do they put this all together, and what 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 can that's they a do really with good this information. Okay, so let me. Okay, there's three basic biochemical organizational things going on in the human body. And it's one is the top level is your genetics. Okay, people talk about, oh, there's a gene for this, a gene for that. And your genetics are your master tickle trunk of, of, of options. Okay, your genotype gives you what is the breadth of biochemical options I have to respond to an environmental event. Okay, that's, 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 our, that's our possible... That's our possible universe of, of options. And, and so when you talk about a gene for Alzheimer's, like the APOE4 genotype, or you talk about mitochondrial DNA, so if you have a, if you have a mutation or people are born with a genetic deficiency in something, that's the genome, okay? And the genome transcribes its information into the proteome. The proteome are the proteins. These are physical molecules that do things. Like they're receptors. When you talk about COVID-19 and how it affects the ACE receptor, that ACE receptor is a protein. Okay. If you talk about your LDL and your HDL in your blood, those are proteins. Okay. And so those are those are physical structures that are built from your genome. Your genome is the blueprint, your proteome is the product. Now, the environment, that that's the top, that's from your genetics. And you hit this middle ground, okay? And this is where the proteome, which is these proteins, interact with the environment, which is all the small molecules. So the reason why you can take a bison liver extract and a human can take it is that the nutrients and the biochemistry of the world is independent of the genetics of the world. Okay, the glucose from the plant is the same as the glucose in your blood, okay? Olive oil is the same in in an olive as it is in a human. So the biochemistry, the environment that we live in and that we feed our body, okay, is disconnected from our genetics. Okay. And so you can't map the biochemistry of a human body. Okay. And the way to think of this conceptually is compare a couple cities. Like I can take San Francisco and New York and Paris, and I can look at the city map and I can make reasonable predictions based upon the genome of that city, what positives and negatives a given city will have. I can say, oh, you know what? There's a river here. That's going to create a problem for traffic, blah, blah, blah. So I can make a reasonable prediction based upon the genetic framework of, of one city versus another. And just predict- to be clear, wouldn't that be describing, wouldn't that be comparing like the proteum? Nope. Like no, because the river wouldn't it be the river be be the structure based on like the DNA blueprint of like it rains here or there's snow melt here or am I misunderstanding nope, no, this? That's, so the the that's the proteome. 
So the proteome would be like your freeway system. And you can say, you know what? Most cities will have a freeway. And if you have a 10-lane freeway versus a three-way freeway, three-lane freeway, then there could be a problem, right? So say you and I have basically a very similar city map, except that my gene for the freeway um, is has a only can make a three a, a three lane freeway, whereas your gene can make a ten lane freeway. Okay, and is that yeah. true? Is that a good? Is that a fair comparison? Is that what yep. you would say happens with humans? Absolutely. It's, okay. So then, so when you talk about the mitochondrial DNA situation, okay, so so if they, someone has a mitochondrial DNA or other um, genetic mutation, it's not. If the person is alive, it's functional, okay? Like if you get non-functional genetics, you don't make it past your first year of life. You die early. So the fact that you are alive today means that you have a sufficient operating genome for human life by definition. Now, the question is, if, I have, if you have a 10-lane freeway and I have a three-lane freeway, what's the physiological effect of that? Well, at three o'clock in the morning, you and I are completely normal. I can't tell the difference. Okay, the time for me to get from point A to point B in my genome is the same as it is in your genome because the traffic is so light at three o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter if you have a three-lane freeway or a 10-lane freeway. But five o'clock in the afternoon, big difference. So what metabolomics do, which is what my technology does, it measures the cars on the road. And it actually says by looking at the, what's going on. So the cars in the system are like your metabolites, like your environment. What's actually happening? How is your city responding to an environmental situation? And that's, how, that's what makes us different. So you, I have a predisposition to traffic jams that will occur at five o'clock in the afternoon if I don't have an alternative pathway for these cars. You doesn't matter. Four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, there's lots of extra freeway space. Okay. So you don't have a predisposition for traffic jams. I do. But as long as I keep my cars at the level that a three-way freeway can tolerate, I have no disease. I'll never get disease because everyone's happy. And so that's what biochemistry allows us to do. So the proton scan test will measure all, all those course functions. And that's what tells you what metabolomics allows us to do is find those dysfunctional freeway systems because cars aren't dumb. You're not going to, if you're in San Francisco, the cars aren't going to back all the way up to Oregon, right? They're going to start taking side streets. They're going to start going other places that they don't normally go. And all of a sudden you're going to see a whole bunch of cars on roads that normally don't have a whole lot of cars on. And you're going to say, well, why is there a whole bunch of cars here? And then you can trace yourself back and say, okay, here's where, there's been a problem in a freeway system. So when people talk about genetics, there's no such thing as a gene for a disease. Okay, genes don't do anything. Genes are passive. They're there to um, try to find a solution to the dumb stuff that we do to ourselves every day. Okay, and they're because they, they don't have control over the environment. Only you have a control over the environment. And so they, they're stuck saying, okay, what's this, what's this Daniel going to do today to me that I got to react to? You know, do I have a solution to some dumb thing that, you know, Daniel and Dane are going to do? And so that's what the genetics of our body do, right? They, have, they, they don't have any control. They have to react to what we do to it. 
And so, and then as we get older, um, our tolerance window starts creeping narrower and narrower. And eventually you jump out of the rut in one or the other. And so the proteome scan test allows you to look at that collectively. And we know what the optimal ranges are. So if you have mitochondrial dysfunction, which means, you know, we can measure mitochondrial leakage and such. And you say, well, you know what? I need to help my mitochondria. I can take carnitine, make sure I have N-acetylcysteine in my diet, um, and so on. If, if I'm deficient in omega-3s, then I can change my diet and make sure I have the right omega-3 levels. If I, if I don't have enough plasmalogens, I can add plasmalogens. If my homocysteine or my methyltransferase system isn't working, I can fix that. My okay, so am I understanding that you're training a group of interpreters or practitioners to be able to look at these test results and then be able to come up with a solution to get yes to create all right cure the root cause of whatever might be causing chaos yes and it's okay. actually not that complicated every anyone can do this okay all right on that note all right, I think I got it wow wow let me just yeah. let, let's take a five minute I don't know if you need to go to the bathroom or anything and how okay. long do you have I have about 30 minutes after this if that I'm works good. for you I'm, all right I love so chatting with this stuff. Um, and yeah, we'll take a five minute and um, I'll kind of marinate to see what comes up. I mean, one thing that I am, I am with, just with your plethora of knowledge about seemingly how to procure certain supplements for certain people's situations. I am very curious what, if you know anything about this bison liver or elk liver project that I'm working on, but I'll put that mm -hmm. on pause and we'll, we'll touch yeah. back in five minutes. Well, the, the, the natural, those are, yeah. Well, there's a reason why we take cod liver oil and so on and so forth, because the liver has good nutrients. But anyways, let's take a five-minute break. Think of some awesome. more questions, and I'm happy to shoot the Thank breeze. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm so excited. I just want to make sure I... I can just leave this, this going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I'm going to okay. do the same. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, we've gotten great testimonies so far, and I've heard that like liver is arguably nature's original multivitamin and it seems, from my understanding, it is loaded with a variety of micronutrients that are arguably in their most bioavailable form. And is that something y'all commonly do when you get the uh, blood results? You kind of come up with a, a protocol? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm like, I call it basically human biochemical engineering. I know some people say, oh, that's too, sounds too much like GMO, but no, but um, I look at the human body as, first of all, I assume it should work. Okay. I don't have an assumption of failure. I have an assumption that it works. If you're alive enough to have this conversation, you have a functional system. So we just need to maintain and keep it proper. Biochemistry, the nice thing about supplements is that they're biochemical intermediates of our endogenous biochemical systems. And so I like to stick with the pure supplements. Okay. Like obviously nutritional dietary supplements as you know, liver extracts and everything else, they're totally good. Um, but um, I kind of leave that to others. The, what I focus on is the actual molecules that I can provide in a bioavailable, almost, um, you know, intervention. Like, like N-acetylcysteine is pure in a, in a, in a thing. Like you're you're going to have cysteine in your liver extract. Choline you're going to have in your liver um, powders. Choline is a pretty, probably one of the more important things. People get deficient in choline levels as they get older. So there's a lot of things that 
Yeah, tell or, me uh, if you can tell me about choline and potentially chromium. I know those are two things that are in the liver. Then, like, what does that exactly do for the liver body? Well, I mean, choline the human is probably body. the biggest thing. Choline and um, is critical. So, when I talk about those membranes of your human body, so people, many people will hear about the molecule homocysteine as a biomarker. It's a biomarker for cardiovascular disease. It's a biomarker for for Alzheimer's as well. If it gets elevated in your in your blood, well, where that comes from is from your body. There's two, 75% of the homocysteine in your blood comes from one of two systems. One is your body trying to make choline, okay? And it makes choline from methanolamines and it's a methyltransferase system, or it's making creatine for your muscles. So choline is, the, the, the main role of choline in the human body is for biological membranes. And we normally get it in our diet. Um, but if we don't get enough in our diet, our body has to make it but it's energetically demanding to make it. And so if you get appropriate choline in your dietary supply, it's less that your body has to make. And it frees up those resources for your body to be making the appropriate uh, neurotransmitters that methyltransferase are used for and other things. So that the whole concept of what we do is called biochemical reserve. It's, it's taking it from a disease mindset, okay, which is what's a disease that's prevent the disease? to saying, you know what, let's look at this thing from immortality, saying what is the optimal function? Because in theory, if you maintain functionality, there's no, there's no real limit to human longevity. It's a matter of maintaining function. Because, um, And I tell people there's really three things in this world that you want. I want to be able to think clearly. Okay, I want to have mobility in my world so I can move around. And I want to, have, I want to feel good. I want to mentally feel good. And if I can achieve those three things, okay, that's, 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 immort- that's, that's life-sustaining. And so biochemical reserve capacity means let's identify what are those systems that we need savings accounts in um, so that we aren't at the mercy. <laughs> Human health is kind of like living paycheck to paycheck right now. Like you, your bills are paid, so technically you don't have a disease, Right? So you can't say, oh, I'm diseased because you know, your bills are all being paid. But you feel uncomfortable because you, you're just one bad event from, from being in the hole. And so we're worried. We're, we're always constantly kind of got this worry that there's some you know, unintended consequence that we aren't really prepared for. And so part of Protom Scan and part of getting biochemical reserve capacity is identifying these systems. So what you're talking about choline, choline is one of them. You want to have choline reserves. You do not want to be deficient in choline. Choline for liver disease, pancreatic cancer, virtually everyone who gets pancreatic cancer is choline deficient before they get pancreatic cancer, unless they have some really strong genetic driver for it, okay, which is a rare case. Same thing with liver disease. And so choline deficiencies are something you do not want to have. Um, it's linked to so many things. It causes low cholesterol levels. You don't want low cholesterol levels either. These are pretty basic things. But we're, we live in a world where everyone focuses on the pathology. It's like, I don't well, need I'm to curious. fix anything until it's broken. I'm curious about a regular blood test because I've gotten tested before, uh, specifically at one point when I was practicing a raw vegan diet for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. I basically had no testosterone left in my body. And I think it had something to do with me not having any animal cholesterol, which to my understanding is like the precursor. If I deplete my body of that, I might be bleeding the precursor to my sex hormones. But um, yes. 
what, what's the difference between me like going to bed doctor again and getting a blood test? I, I don't remember remember them telling me about my choline levels versus well, they the, don't measure them. What about your yeah? What's the what are the other differences between? They don't what, measure choline. Like, see, so we measure the phospholipids in your blood, so we actually understand the actual phosphocholine levels and the individual fatty acid side chains, whether it's your omega-9 from olive oil, whether it's your omega-6, like from your corn, soy, canola type products, like your arachidonic acid and your omega-3s, which is your DHA. So we actually measure the individual you br- species. You bring up canola because out of all things that I've ever now definitely avoid, that's one of them. Well, we live... Okay, Okay, going there all these. So the two you have you have, you have three essential um, fatty acids in our environment. People hear about them. You hear about omega nine, omega six, and omega three. Okay, so your your classic omega nine is olive oil. Okay, there's others, but that would be your omega nine. And then your class and omega nine, your body uses it basically as is. It doesn't do a lot of conversions of omega nine. And Omega-6 and omega-3, your body doesn't usually use them as is. It converts them to this long chain. So omega-6 is from corn, soy, canola. And we are bombarded with omega-6 in our environment. Our omega-6 in our general day, like even the food, like when you eat meat, most of that meat is corn-fed. And corn, so corn is in everything. And the omega-6 contribution to our diet is enormously outweighing the omega-3. Omega-6 is supposed to be the backup plan to omega-3. So your omega-3 is like your flax oil from a plant perspective is where you get omega-3s from. And in the animal kingdom, we get omega-3s from from fish products, like fish oil. But DHA, what people hear about, is the long chain, is is the product of your omega-3 fatty acid profile, uh, digestion. And omega-3... DHA is what gives your membranes fluidity and youthfulness. Okay, that's the purpose of DHA. It's a long chain, polyunsaturated. It's a wiggly molecule that keeps your membranes nice and loosey-goosey. And so you want lots of that. But your backup plan, and you get your omega-3s from, say, grass-fed animals from the natural environment. Now, if your body can't get enough omega-3, it can use omega-6 as a backup plan. And what it does is it creates a molecule called arachidonic acid which is very close to DHA, has very similar properties, and will have similar membrane fluidity, but not quite as good. It's your, it's, it's, it's your backup plan. Now, the problem that we have is that in our world, we live in omega-6 excess world. Um, and so we have a whole lot of arachidonic acid in our membranes versus DHA for the most part. And that sets you up for pro-inflammation. So arachidonic is a pro-inflammatory molecule. Yeah, so anyways, Long story short, that's what hap- that's why I've learned to avoid it. Uh, yes. it. It causes me acid reflux. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what happens. <laughs> I used to think I had. I used to think I had acid reflux that I took Pepsid AC for until I realized my body was becoming inflamed from this canola oil. See, and you just hit the nail exactly on the head. Okay, you can either take take Pepsid AC, whatever it's called, to treat the symptom. Or you can eliminate the causation and you don't have any problems. And that's the whole point of our world. We live in a world where we just want to look at the symptoms and fix the symptoms and, and not fix the cause. And so back to your whole story about your, your, your vegan diet. So your choline deficiency causes a low cholesterol level. Okay, And that's another big problem that we have in our world today. We're obsessed with lowering LDL cholesterol 
in, in a very, very unhealthy way. Um, cholesterol is what your body uses to make testosterone. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the product, it's, it's the molecule that's used to make um, all of our sex hormones. And so cholesterol is really important for, for, for your membranes, for your myelin sheaths of your, of your axons, like the, the Schwann cells that protect your peripheral neurons, the myelin, the myelin of your brain um, has high levels of cholesterol. 20% of your, 23% of your, all the cholesterol of the human body is in the human brain. And the human brain is only 2% of the body. So cholesterol is not something to be afraid of. You know, oxidative stress and, and oxidized LDL and all this other stuff, yes, those have, have negative health consequences. But cholesterol itself isn't a dangerous molecule in any way, shape, or form. It's an essential nutrient. And so, anyways, so, so that's what we do. So if you have low choline levels, your, your liver can't make cholesterol, okay? See, like, your liver uses choline to make LDL cholesterol. And so if, you, if you're choline deficient, you become cholesterol deficient, which then forces your cells to make all of its own cholesterol, which again is highly you know, stress-related. And so this whole concept of biochemical reserve capacity is understanding these biochemical systems and make sure that you have a biochemical savings account. And so for Alzheimer's disease, it's these plasmalogens. And if you're an APOE4 carrier, it's even more important that you have these DHA plasmalogens because they will counterbalance your, your E4 genotype. And so um, back to our freeway system, right? So when you have a 10-lane freeway and I have a three-lane freeway, so say I'm an APOE4 carrier and my E4 genotype is giving me a three-way freeway where you have a E2 genotype and you have a 10-way freeway, well, there's not only just one freeway in the human of this city. There's two freeways. So there's a there's a freeway next to us that we both have the same. We have um, you know, they both have a five-lane freeway. Mine's the same as yours, five and five. Well, what plasmalogens do is I can increase with the plasmalogens, I can increase the utility of that five-lane freeway to a 10-lane freeway. So I can now say, ah. So I got a weak three-lane freeway here, but I can improve this other freeway so that now I can completely, it doesn't matter because now I have, I've, I've created a bypass route that, that, that deals with all of the, the traffic requirements. And the traffic requirement for EPOE4 is a cholesterol regulation. So that's what plasmalogens do. And that's what, we're, that's what we do with biochemical engineering is we basically identify in your blood sample where your weaknesses are and then you fix them and you create reserve capacity in the areas that you need them. Now, plasmalogens are a really critical one because you can't get them. They're like the choline story, but even worse. And um, Alzheimer's, of course, is, is um, a big, big problem um, in that if people think, you know, you take an average group of 90-year-olds and you say, oh, there's about 30% dementia there. Um, great. But they forget about how many people had Alzheimer's and died. And people think people live forever with a like, long time with Alzheimer's. It's not. People live a long time with Parkinson's. But the average time to death from a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease is five years. Okay, you'll live longer with stage three colon cancer than you will live with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is not trivial. And it's, um, and, you know, it's a, a year or two at home before people go to long-term care. Once they get into long-term care, it's really quite a, a, a negative decline from there. 
And so the plasmalogen story and being able to restore plasmalogens and others, you know, we want mitochondrial function. So plasmalogens aren't just the only thing in the world, but they're the critical component of it. It's also important for, and so that's one aspect of the Alzheimer's program that is, is pretty critical. And it's, it's a great entry point for people to start caring about their biochemical health. Um, and we can, we can build from that, that Alzheimer's program. But if you're a young guy like yourself and you're athletic, okay, we do a lot of work in like your neuromuscular junction that controls your muscles is the same neuron system that controls cognition in the human brain. It's a cholinergic system. And so neuromuscular junction, so sarcopenia correlates with Alzheimer's dramatically, like which is the reduced muscle function, muscle wasting. ALS, right? Um, where you get muscle wasting. And so athletic performance, you ever wonder why these super athletes, the, the top, you know, the pinnacle of the human species in their prime, these athletes don't age well for the most part, okay? And you get too much of a good thing. And so we've been noticing, you know, anomalies where, you know, the resistance training is um, helping stimulate paroxysmal function. But too much is a bad thing. So people think exercise is good for you. And in fact, technically it's not. See, technically you're ripping your body apart while you're exercising. It's your recovery from exercise that's good for you. Okay? It's your recovery from the controlled stress that you get a benefit from. So when I work out and you lift weights, right, you're technically creating oxidative stress in your muscles, right? You're ripping your muscles apart. And then you're this genetic thing that I was telling you about saying, holy crap, what's this guy doing to me? And so after you finish and you go to sleep at night and a couple of days later, it starts rebuilding all these things that you've broken up. So it's, it's reacting to the stress that you've created. And when your body reacts to the stress, it doesn't repair exactly to where it was before. It says, well, you know what? I better give a little extra muscle here for the next time this guy does this to me. So I'm going to rebuild these muscles a bit more. So it's our reaction to stress that gives us our benefit from exercise. The exercise itself is actually damaging. And so if you over-exercise, Okay, if you don't, if your body doesn't have enough time to recover from the exercise to get the recovery benefit, you can actually result in um, biochemical decline. Now you can you can complement you can supplement that, and that's why we you know you can know that in advance. And so plasmalogen supplementation, in terms of just improved musculature and uh, muscle memory and muscle response rates and all that stuff, we're very excited to to get more involved in that. So you're offering plasmalogen supplementation currently? Yep. And my, but from what I, you were saying earlier, I, I thought you were saying it was something that could not be taken exogenously. Are you saying? Naturally, how? natural plasmalogens, you can't. So this, our molecule is a natural plasmalogen, but it's a precursor. It's, it's, um, it's two steps up the biochemical food chain in your body. So the, e, the ether lipid is fully stable in the stomach and is absorbed. And then it goes into your liver and it actually goes into all the cells of your body. And then your body cells can actually make the plasmalogen then. And so what we've done is we've, we've made a precursor that is biologically available, but it's still a natural, it's, it's an endogenous human metabolite. And so when you make your own plasmalogen, there's many, many steps in the peroxisome to make it. And so what we do is we provide uh, the molecule that is the end of your peroxisomal function. And then there's the last two steps 
um, are done by your, your body's natural metabolism. And that's what's so cool about biochemical engineering is that we can do this kind of stuff, right? We say, okay, here's about, we know the biochemical pathways. And so you can insert a natural human metabolite, you know, where you need it. And that's how we restore things. Wow. Fascinating. In case someone doesn't look at the show notes, but please do, yeah. um, where, where should they go to check some of this out? What's the website? So you can go to either my website, which is drgoodnow.com. And there'll be a lot more, you know, information on that. And then prodromesciences.com is where the blood testing and the, um, supplements are available. Well, thanks so much for, uh, you know, expressing what I would say most pe- topics that most people would probably neglect to even look at because they might convince themselves they won't understand it in a way that I think almost anyone could digest. I really appreciate you for that. And obviously your dedication and your commitment to this cause. And uh, just real quickly, because it seems like Alzheimer's is one of the things you've done the most work around. Um, if in case someone never visits your website or this is just one time thing, they just stop in and check out, check in and check out. Is, yeah. what, what could they do on a daily basis that might uh, be best for preventative measures against the A word and other degenerative issues? Do you have any kind of like list on the top of your head or anything? You just got, got to get the sunlight or got to get to sleep. What, anything like that for you? Well, there's basically three things. What you want moderate exercise, resistance training, so you want to be working the muscles that are not used as frequently. That's number one good priority. Um, dietarily wise, like a balanced diet, like fasting, like if you can get yourself into a habit of eating most of your calories within an eight-hour window, so don't, like, don't eat after 8 p.m. and then don't eat breakfast until, you know, until after noon, that gives your body lots of time to clean up the biochemistry and it helps peroxisomal function work. And then biochemical testing, just to make sure your mitochondria function is working, make sure your cholesterol regulation is working. Um, simple things like that. And those are relatively simple to fix. And then obviously plasmalogens are critical. You need to have a reserve capacity of plasmalogens. And so like my dad's in his 80s, he functions like a young 60-year-old, he's out shoveling. And so I know this works. This is personal to me because we, my family, my, my loved ones are all part of our program. So it's not something, you know, we do where we say, you know, listen to me and I'll do something different. This is what we live. Um, and people in our company, their family and their, their friends are, are take the things that we do ourselves. So this is not a, this is a living system. And when you talk about longevity, our plan and our intention will have our customers and our collaborators with us for the next hundred years. So this is a long-term program and we'll continue to get better and better at it. So those are the three main issues. So. Nice. And you mentioned your dad out shoveling. Where are you currently? Where do you live? Oh, I'm in, I'm in California. He's up in Canada. And so, yeah. Oh, so yeah. He's, you yeah, sound so. like, are you, so you're from Canada? Uh, I'm a, I'm just an old farm boy from Canada. So where, where about in fixing Canada? Things. In Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's a, well, anything else you want to make sure that we include before we wrap it up? Thanks so much for your time. You're oh, awesome. Oh, no problem. Wow. Thanks for, uh, it's, no, it's just a matter of, um, you know, I got the, a book called Breaking Alzheimer's will be coming out in, in a few weeks, probably early April, mid-April. And that'll be really for people with the APOE4 genotype. I think there's a whole group of people, 25% of the population have this E4 genotype that puts them at increased risk for Alzheimer's. And they're, a lot of them are worried about why 
it works. And so the book really goes into that. And I have other educational information for people. But really, the bottom line is that don't be afraid of your biochemistry. It's, it's actually not that complicated. If you can operate an iPhone or you can operate the stuff that we live in our lives, you can operate your biochemistry. It's, it's, it's not that complicated. It really isn't. Just a lot, lot of dumb words that we use in science to protect ourselves from regular people. So. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's quite synchronous too about the breaking Alzheimer book coming. I didn't know it was coming out in April. If you want to release it April 7th, that's my daughter's birthday. And then we can oh, really? like, d- delay the release of this podcast. Where is, <laughs> She was actually born in California in Encinitas. Where are you living in California? In Temecula. Oh, not, not too, too far. far at all. No, 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 for sure. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, it'll probably be after that. So, well, we can time it. It's no big yeah, deal. we'll see. We'll see. We'll, uh, let's stay in touch about that. And it's good to know you're out there. Yeah. And if you need uh, to fill in any, if you need to fill in any blanks then let me know, we can do it between now and then. So. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. You're very and, welcome. And everything. Wow. Holy moly. All right. To be continued. I know, it's pretty dense. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, Hey, I'm, I'm, I think I just, you made it, you broke it up enough just where I can, uh, I can digest it. So thanks again. Oh, you're very, very welcome, Daniel. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Cheers.